What would you say is your deepest need? Uh, I typed that into Google and I was directed to an astrology website which suggested that your deepest need was very much connected to your star sign. Uh, Pisces, like me, apparently our deepest need is unconditional love. That's not bad, is it? Uh, they're pretty good, the astrology people. Um, it, it didn't read the same for everybody, though. Um, if you're a Virgo, it said this. These perfectionists are actually terrified of others' criticism and hence need frequent boosts to their self-esteem. So, sorry, Virgos, apparently you're insecure and needy, and what you need most is to be constantly praised to soothe your fragile ego. Or perhaps all the answers are not found on astrology.com. So what do, we, what do we truly need? What do we need most of all to flourish, to live a life worth living? I mean, we all need the basics to survive, don't we? Food and water and shelter. But we also know that we're not just here to survive, are we? What do we need to truly live? Is it love? Is it a sense of purpose? Is it meaningful relationships? Well, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus reveals to us why he's come into the world. And he shows that he's come to meet our deepest need. Now, at this stage in his life, uh, Jesus is getting more and more popular. Uh, he's become the ancient equivalent of the latest hit show, the topic of conversation around the water cooler, or perhaps more accurately, the village well. Um, he's reached a kind of local celebrity status. Word is getting around. There's a man who can do incredible things. Jesus has been driving out evil spirits, healing people of sicknesses and disease. Uh, he was an amazing teacher, compelling preacher. It's exciting times. There's power at work and people want to be near it. They want to see it, experience it. And the crowds have been growing. People are coming from all over to see Jesus, to listen to Jesus, and some in desperation to be healed by him. And Matthew 9 begins with a story about a man who was hoping for that very thing. It's one of those great stories that we find in the Gospels, a bit of a Sunday school classic. Uh, Matthew chapter 9 starts this way. It says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. So men brought to him a paralysed man lying on a mat. Uh, this is that well-known story of the friends who bring uh, the paralysed mate of theirs to Jesus for, well, healing. Back in those days, there was no such thing as a wheelchair or a disabled taxi. Uh, if you were paralysed and you needed to get somewhere, you needed help. You needed friends who could carry you. And this man has them. And Jesus is in town and they don't want to miss their chance. Now, Matthew's gospel leaves out a lot of the details that we find uh, when Luke tells his story in his gospel. The stuff about how when they arrive, they find the house that Jesus is in is too crowded and so they have to climb up on the roof and dig a hole through it. And Matthew skips over all of that and he jumps straight to the punchline. This is what he says, verse 2. So men brought to him a paralysed man lying on a mat 
When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I'm sure at that point, there was more than a few confused and awkward kind of side glances amongst the people who were there. I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, what this guy has come for, what he needs. And, well, it didn't really have anything to do with his sins, did it? Now, there's one group who were listening that day who are more than just confused. They're outraged. We, find a, we read about them in verse 3. It says that this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Now, the teachers of the law get a pretty uh, a hard deal in the, in the Gospels. Uh, a lot of the things that they say and do are wrong and corrected by Jesus. But they understand this much, at least, that nobody can forgive sins except God. See, let's see, uh, I need a new bike. But instead of buying one, I decide I'm going to steal Adam's new bike, a carbon-framed beauty. Now, imagine for a moment that Robin finds out about this. And she's concerned, so she comes up to me and she says, look, it's okay. I forgive you for what you've done. There's something a little off about that, isn't there? Because it's only the person who has been wronged, who's had the offence committed against them, who can grant forgiveness. And sin is ultimately an offence against God. Yes, we can forgive people for the harm that they do to us, but no one else is entitled to forgive our sin against God. No man, no woman can forgive in God's place. And so the teachers of the law, they hear Jesus declare forgiveness and they understand this much, that Jesus is blaspheming when he claims this. He's claiming to have divine power, divine authority. He's claiming to do what, well, only God by rights can do. Now, of course, the one thing that they haven't considered is whether it's possible to blaspheme if you actually happen to be God, uh, but that's another story. Now, Jesus, he understands what they're thinking, and this is his response, verse 4. It says, Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralysed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. What do you think? Which of those two things is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? It's a rhetorical question. I was a bit concerned someone might shout out the wrong answer and I'd have to correct you. I think it's pretty obvious which of them is easier to say. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because who can prove whether that's true or not? But if you say to someone who is paralysed, 
get up, pick up your mat and walk out of the room, well, that can be immediately tested, can't it? Either that man will be able to walk or he won't. And so Jesus says says to the teachers of the law who are doubting him, doubting that he has the authority that he's claimed, he says, yeah, I guess anyone could claim to be able to forgive people's sins. That's an easy enough thing to say. But he says, so that you can understand that I have the power to do the thing that you can't see, I'm going to do the thing that you can see. And so he tells the man to get up and walk. And so he does. And the people are filled with awe. They praise God. And so they should. This story reveals that Jesus has come to deal with our deepest need. See, whatever you think your deepest need is, if you you think, if only I had X, Y or Z, Z, I don't know what country we're in anymore, if only I had that, then life would be sweet. If I had that job, if only I had that person in my life or that house, or their money, or that qualification, or their family. Jesus says, you're wrong. It is none of those things. And if you can say it to a paralysed man and his friends, that they are wrong about what this man needs most, then he can say it to you. Because what you need most is what he needed most. What we all need more than anything else in this world. The forgiveness that Jesus alone can bring. To have a new life through him. Now, of course, it's not wrong to desire any of those things I just mentioned. To want a better situation in life. Less dysfunction in your relationships. Better health. And God may very well bless you with those things. We don't want to be too simplistic and suggest that knowing Jesus is the only thing that we need in this life. But none of those things are what we need most. Jesus shows us that what we need most of all is him. The peace that he brings. And when you find that you find so much else. Healing from past hurts. Release from guilt and shame. Real contentment. Deep joy. Lasting peace. Because you find peace with your creator. And from there you can live life as it's intended to be. Jesus explains that This is the purpose of his coming in the next story that we read in Matthew. Uh, It's a story of Jesus calling Matthew himself, the tax collector. From verse 9, we read these words. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Just as Jesus has called Peter and James and John to leave their fishing nets to follow him, so Jesus plucks Matthew from his tax collector's booth. Now, tax collectors have never been popular, but in Jesus' day, they had a particularly bad reputation. They worked for the Romans, the foreign oppressors, their conquerors. And so tax collectors were very much viewed as traitors, traitors to their own community, their own people. And to make things worse, they were often corrupt, uh, led pretty immoral lifestyles by all accounts, made themselves rich by overcharging their own people, as they collected taxes on behalf of the Romans, they had a pretty well-earned reputation. And Jesus calls one of these men to be one of his disciples. Now, that wasn't unusual for Jesus. Um, Jesus himself developed a reputation for hanging out with unsavoury characters, people that get labelled here sinners, those people who didn't meet the moral and the social standards of their community. Perhaps in our context, think of a drug addict who who steals to feed their habit. Or perhaps more likely in Matthew's case, it's not the addict themselves, but their dealer who drives the Range Rover. Those kinds of people, they're not a part of respectable society. And these are the very people that Jesus is more than happy to spend time with, to share a meal with, to call to God. People like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they kind of functioned as the the moral police for Jewish society. And they made it perfectly clear to Jesus that they didn't approve of him hanging out with people like this. He's meant to be a, a rabbi, a teacher, a holy man. But Jesus wanted them and us to understand that these are the very people he's come to find. That he's come for the spiritually sick for those that are estranged from God. These supposedly unacceptable people are just the kind of people Jesus has come to call, to rescue. I love how Jesus describes himself here as a spiritual physician, someone who's come to bring mercy, to bring forgiveness to sinners, people who are in desperate need of God's help. Jesus came so that people like these sinners, people like you and me, could hear those precious words, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus makes that declaration, it offended people. And it offends people still. The idea that we need the forgiveness of God. But we need to be careful that we never make Jesus out to be anything less than what he claimed to be, the saviour of the world. This was his mission. He came to bring forgiveness. He came to people who were sick with sin and needed his healing. And for all of it, it is the thing that we need more than anything else in this world. Now, on that day, it may have seemed easy for Jesus to blurt out the words, Your sins are forgiven. 
But of course, we know it was no easy thing. In the end, to fulfill that promise, it would cost Jesus his life. We've just remembered that as we've shared in the Lord's Supper together. For Jesus to make a way for that man and for you and for me to have our sins dealt with, he would go to a cross. He would give his life to pay the price for it all. And he did that for us. He did that so that we could each hear those precious words as a promise to us, as a declaration over us. Your sins are forgiven. And if you trust in Jesus, that is true of you. Your sins are forgiven. And that's why those words have got my nomination as one of the best things Jesus ever said. Let's pray together.